welcome back to the extras. My name is Sam. I'm Peter. Hi. And uh, it's great to be with you this week uh, as we look through some of your questions that have come up through the course of our uh, sermons and church services over the over the weekend. Uh, we're in the Book of Psalms at the moment, Pete. That's it. And uh, you very helpfully took many of our congregations through Psalm eight on Sunday. Uh, we're kind of doing a psalm a day. That, that's the that's the diet for th- for the summertime. Is that right? That's it. We're recording this on the eleventh, so Psalm eleven for me this morning. Yeah, excellent. And uh, come Sunday, we'll be in Psalm fifteen, which I'm preaching um, and quite excited about. Actually, it's a fascinating little psalm. Oh, and, good one. Uh, yeah. But no, we're, today our focus is Psalm eight, which you preached through last weekend, um, and uh, for, I think for North Rocks the weekend before. That's it. A uh, bunch of questions we're going to come to in a minute, um, but. Can you tell us a little bit about Psalm 8? Just remind us, get our heads back into that wonderful um, chapter of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 gives us this great vision of God's greatness, uh, so great in creation, and yet he cares for human beings. Mm. And we see that in the beginning and the way he creates the world, which our psalmist points us back to. And then... We jumped over to Hebrews, which helps us to see that the way things were in the beginning is not how things are now. And it's Mm. Jesus who comes to put things right, to put human beings back in our place under God and Mm. over creation. Yeah, isn't it great? The Psalms in so many ways just drive us forward to the Lord Jesus as as kind of the fulfillment of it. It's great to see that in Psalm 8. We saw that back in Psalm 1. Uh, I trust we're going to see that again come Psalm 15 this weekend. yeah, so thanks for teaching God's Word over the weekend. Um, we've got a couple of questions. Some were done uh, on the day on, on Sunday, but uh, we've got two kind of that we're going to particularly drill into today. Um, and uh, so we'll sort of take them in turn. Um, the, the first one here is um, thinking about uh, how, how does what God's uh, Word says kind of interact with Sort of scientific thought and some of that, some of the more kind of um, kind of odd things in, in that realm. Um, actually, no, I think I'm looking at the wrong question. I apologise. Uh, oh, I've lost it, Peter. What have I done? That's okay. I've got the question. You've got the question there. So Excellent. I mentioned Carl Sagan in the sermon. There it is. Thank Carl you, Carl Sagan, who is a uh, you know a, a physicist uh, and was associated with the Voyager program. And uh, Sagan had some things to say about other intelligent life in the universe and our question points out that there are all kinds of um you know references in the bible to uh, other kinds of life non-human life that um is strange and hard to get our heads around so uh, angels uh, nephilim uh, or giants um uh, the, maybe the question it, mentions uh, ezekiel with a, is ezekiel describing a guy going up in a ufo mm. um, uh, how, how, how do we make sense of weird images in revelation and wild topics that come up um, yeah, that's some of the ideas here. Yeah, so I think the question is more or less, there's a, there's a heap of weird stuff in the Bible. Mm. Is that connected to uh, extraterrestrial life or, yeah. or something like that? Yep. Uh, so, um, yeah, interesting question. And, and uh, you know, that um, connection between Ezekiel and a UFO has been uh, made uh, a number of times in the late 20th century, hmm. although I don't think anybody um, suggested prior to that that that's what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, it's it sort of suggestive, I suppose. Some parts of the Bible, um, given, and as I say, the idea of um, extraterrestrial visitors is something that really uh, belongs uh, to the, the, the latter half of this of the 20th century. And uh, so parts of the Bible have resonance with people who, who are interested in that kind of thing. They mm. say, oh, that sounds like the kinds of things I'm interested in. Yep. 
Um, however, I would say there's nothing in the Bible that really pushes us um, to understand uh, other life forms, other creatures uh, from other parts of the cosmos, um, uh, you know, having travelled uh, mm. to visit the earth. Uh, instead, the way that the Bible sees this uh, is it talks about, you know, a part of God's world that is visible and accessible to us, uh, earth, and then there's another part of the orderly creation uh, that is not visible and accessible to us, no less real, uh, but not tangible to us. And this is the the, the sphere of creation that's kind of uh, higher is the way the Bible describes it, out of our reach mm. and uh, near to God, heaven. Mm. The heavenly realms is another way that kind of gets referred to in other parts of Scripture, sort of a, another... Not, not quite dimension, but another sort of reality beyond our what we can see and touch and smell with our senses, you know? Yeah, that's right. And uh, and it's sort of, the Bible kind of sometimes uh, pictures God as kind of uh, living in heaven or interacting with heaven, or that's the place where God's in charge. At other times, the Bible makes it quite clear, you know, God doesn't live in heaven. God created heaven. God doesn't need to live in a place. God mm. is spirit. Um, and yet, if we want to kind of imagine somewhere that God lives and directs things, Heaven is where that's from. Mm. And uh, occasionally at parts in the Bible story, there are emissaries from this other realm. Mm. Uh, angels mm. uh, come to impart messages or carry out God's will in different kinds of way, um, providing salvation for God's people, providing justice on uh, those who do evil. And so we have kind of cameos from the heavenly realm at various points in the Bible story. Now, it's clear enough, quite vague in terms of details but it's clear that in some ways there's some kind of disorder in this part of creation that uh, principalities and powers exist there which uh, assert themselves over against God Mm. they refuse to uh, acknowledge God as the ultimate um, power and authority and uh, are in rebellion against him and attempt to work that rebellion out in one way or another by their activity in our part of creation on the earth and so stuff like the, uh, the the Nephilim or the giants in Genesis chapter 6 seems to be an instance of this, of creation getting out of joint and, and misbehaving. Now, it's all quite vague. What are the details of that? We just don't know. We can guess. But you know, anyone who tells you, look, I'm going to draw up a chart and tell you exactly what happened, mm. you know, they're, uh, they're over their skis there. But uh, the thing that is super clear is that Jesus, in his finished work on the cross and his death and his resurrection, puts things right in that Mm. spiritual realm. So uh, we read in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 that part of God's plan, which is kind of hidden for ages and then revealed and executed, completed in Christ, uh, is to sum up all things under him, Mm. uh, to uh, bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth Mm. under Christ. And elsewhere in Ephesians, it talks about different ways that the heavenly realm uh, mm. is going to be kind of put back into its place. It's going to see the power and wisdom of God and, and acknowledge that appropriately mm. through what Jesus has done. Nice. And, uh, and again, you know, Revelation, that's really in a nutshell, that's kind of what Revelation is about. Mm. Um, sometimes people pick up Revelation and think, oh, this is a book with, you know, this crazy secret agenda this is the last book where you know it just spins out of control and uh, it's talking about stuff that's totally different to the rest of the new testament but not really revelation is just as boring Mm -hmm. and just as exciting Mm -hmm. as the rest of the new testament Mm -hmm. because it's about jesus um it's not providing this kind of esoteric calendar of end time events 
has just given us another look at Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. In the first chapter, what John sees is Jesus. Mm. And then what he keeps on seeing is what the world-changing implications are of Jesus died and risen. How Jesus holds all history in his hands and how all that's left to happen is people uh, bowing the knee to him or, or facing uh, the, the justice of God without him. Mm. So that's nice. So, so really what, what the Bible's interest in all these things is to show you Jesus' lordship over them all, um, that whether it's things on earth or things in heaven, um, because of Christ's victory on the cross, he, he, he's in charge, he, he rules them all. And uh, there, there, is, there, are, there is more to, more to the world than meets the eye. There is, there is this heavenly realm that God rules over and created and owns, but it's, um, it's nonetheless under the, under the lordship of Christ. Um, and it's, it's less about, the Bible's less about UFOs and weird stuff going on from within our galaxy, but, but more about God's lordship over both our world and the heavenly realms. Yeah, that's right. The Bible shows us just enough about the world beyond what meets the eye to mm. tell us that it's subject to what we mm. see in the world that meets the eye. Jesus mm. crucified and risen, that he is still the main game, mm. uh, no matter which part of the world we're talking about. Nice. Okay. That's helpful, mate. Um, we are doing, just out of interest, a, a series in Ezekiel um, later, mm. later on in, in uh, the course of this year as we're, as we're preaching. That'll be one of our big kind of Old Testament uh, books that we're going to dive in and, and tackle this year, which I'm, I think I'm preaching that, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Haven't, haven't done a heap of work on it. Haven't, haven't learned about the UFOs yet. So uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. They're yet to come. No, no, it's all about Jesus, right? Um, so that'll be good. Um, all right, let, let's keep moving along here. We've got a second question here, which is a long one. I'm going to do a, uh, my best to kind of summarize it up. Uh, somebody's really appreciating your work, taking us to Hebrews chapter two on Sunday, um, and seeing uh, how um, Jesus fulfills everything. Um, they make the point that regarding chapter two, verse eight, prior to your sermon, they had a view on what it means to to not yet presently see all things subjected to Jesus. Shall I read chapter Do, yeah. two, verse eight? Can, can you read? Yeah, here we yeah. go. So this uh, Hebrews. The reason we went there was that Hebrews chapter two has a little quote from Psalm eight. It says, nice. "I don't know where anyone said this, but here it is." <laughs> Psalm, eight. Psalm eight. That's how I often quote the Bible somewhere in there. Um, anyway, it, so it quotes that little bit of mm-hmm. uh, Psalm eight. It talks about uh, God. You put everything under their feet, and these human beings, and then it says, "In putting everything under them." God left nothing that is not subject to them. Mm. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Mm. Okay. Um, now, again, trying to summarize up this question, that uh, the, the person's made the point that prior to your sermon, they'd sort of read it that uh, something like, currently we don't see everything that is in subjection because we can't see angels. Um, the ones spoken about um, elsewhere in, in Hebrews chapter 2. Mm. Um, but uh, now, having heard your sermon, they've realized, oh, hang on, I think I think I can understand that differently. Not that it's you know, it's also true that we don't see angels, mm-hmm. um, but they've sort of grown in their understanding of, Hebrew, of um, what God's saying because of Hebrews 2. And they're asking some questions more about how you read the Bible, therefore. Um, so let me, let me give you the questions that they've kind of come to about... Um, uh, about how to read the Bible. The first question they've got is, well, how do we know that Hebrews 2 is um, talking about what you said rather than what they previously thought? Um, seems like both of those things are kind of true, but how do we know which one to go with, your view or the other view? Um, and that sort of leads them on to a bigger question, which is how do, how do we deal with verses where, on maybe on first glance, there seems to be a couple of different ways to read it. Um, and it might seem like you could read it this way or that way. And sometimes, like in, in this particular verse, 
it's not massive implications to take one view, take the other. Eh, it probably doesn't doesn't massively change your understanding of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Some verses could it be that um, there's actually bigger things at stake, and um, so it's really a how do I read the Bible question. And uh, they look, they've said here, not looking to pick a fight, just eager to learn. So love it. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Yeah, and it's I mean it's a fantastic question. Thank you for it. Mm. Um, because how do we read the Bible? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Mm. Um, that's why we do the extras because we you know we love God's word and we are keen to to press into it to understand how we can read God's word well, uh, not for the sake of being good readers, but for the sake of knowing the Lord and knowing mm. the Lord's will, which is uh, what we get when we read and understand the Bible. Nice. So. Uh, the question, how do we know what it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 8? What's it referring to? At present, we do not see everything subject to them. Is it talking about uh, the kind of um, the, 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 the way that the original uh, dominion granted to humanity at the beginning um, has gotten out of whack? It doesn't persist. We don't see everything in subject to human beings because of sin, because of disorder in the creation. Is that what it's talking about? Or is it uh, saying we don't see everything subject to them? Um, angels are subject to them, but we just don't see that because angels are invisible. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the grammatical possibilities of these words, both are on the table. Mm. And that's really where we need to start with the grammatical possibilities because God speaks in human language. Mm. And the way we understand human language is we follow things like grammar and syntax and uh, we have to understand what the words are, or their definitions, what are they referring to. And so it's right to start there. And uh, as our questioner points out, there's different ways you could read this. Mm. And as we begin to look a little further out to the context, the broader context of these uh, these words, that helps us to understand, uh, well, how should we decide between these different grammatical possibilities that you know it's more than one way to read it let's look at the context so that's the right uh move and our questioner alerts us to the fact that there are angels in the context mm. uh and said so, well okay could it be referring to angels as a as a non-visible thing to which uh god has subjected uh, which god has subjected to human beings mm. um so there's a little bit of a steer from the context perhaps that's what it's referring to here However, uh, my feeling is that we've made exactly the right move going to the context, but the context helpfully clarifies for us that that isn't actually the case. So there's plenty of things in the context to help us understand that it's actually not referring to the invisibility of the angels at this point. Mm, help us with that, just um, how, do, how do we keep thinking it through? Okay, so for one thing, in the context, the discussion is all about how... Uh, God has subjected uh, the world, put everything under their feet. Um, Now, it's clear uh, in Psalm 8 and in Genesis 1, to which Psalm 8 is referring, that this is talking about uh, the visible parts of the world, Mm. stuff like animals, Mm. fish, birds. The ground. The ground. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it doesn't actually anywhere say that angels are subjected to Mm. human beings. Mm. Now, uh, there are other parts of Scripture, don't you know, that will judge angels? Okay, mm. But that's not in the immediate context here, and it's not part of the immediate thought world mm. of what's going on yep. here. And yep. particularly here, it says uh, it, there's nothing that suggests that um, 
human beings are in charge of angels. In fact, it says you made them a little lower than the angels. Mm. So the idea of angel uh, superiority over angels mm. is not in the context, and there are some things that push against that. Mm. Similarly, the idea of the visible contrasted with the invisible just isn't in the context either. Mm. Um, if our author wanted us to understand a distinction between uh, the things we can literally visibly see mm. and the things we literally visibly can't see, mm. uh, he's not communicated it very well. He's not really tipped us off that that's mm. what he's talking about. Yep. But the author is a really good author. Uh, you know, he's a good communicator. Yep. And so we can, I think, take it as read that actually that's not what he's doing. There's a bit more evidence for this in the fact that there is a, uh, a figurative use of the word see. We're going deep here, Sam, but yeah, uh, do it. Yeah, they, yeah. the question is asked for it. Yep, yep. Um, see in verse 9 has to be figurative. Mm. What we do see Jesus. Mm. Now, do we literally see Jesus? No, that's right. We, we, I can't. I didn't spot him this morning on the way to, you know, get my lunch. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and we can't. We can't see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Mm. Because as Hebrews is very clear, Jesus ascended into mm. heaven, and yes. uh, Hebrews doesn't make much of the visibility or invisibility of that. Mm. Um, but we can't physically see Jesus. We we see him in a metaphorical sense. In yes. In that we uh, we have this kind of theological truth presented to us in Scripture, it's part of the yep. gospel that we uh, yep. rejoice in. That yep. Christ is ascended to the heaven, and mm. uh, you know the Lord said to my Lord, "Sit on my right hand." He rules mm. at God's right hand. Yeah. Uh, so we see him metaphorically in that sense that we are aware of this theological truth. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is at God's right hand. Mm. We physically see that. Yeah. And so I think in the context we should take C in verse 8 in a similar kind of way mm. uh, we are aware of a theological truth uh, we do not uh, see in this kind of um, metaphorical sense mm. all the things on earth in mm. subjection to human beings mm. uh, or human perhaps to be a bit more precise we don't see human beings in the original place given at the beginning. Yeah, so it's, it's less about what we observe through our optic nerve and our retinas and more about the realities that we know to be true. A little bit like perhaps in, when you say at the end, at the end of somebody's point, you might say, oh, I see. Yeah, exactly. Actually, what you mean is I hear, I've heard, I've heard yeah, um, it's... But, but it's kind of, I've come to this realisation that this thing is true. Mm. I see, I see it, yeah. Um, and, and I sort of feel that after listening to you speak there, oh, I, I see, I, I see what you're getting at. Um, I don't, haven't seen anything. I've just been listening. Um, right. Yeah. And so I wonder if there's sort of an, an, a, something analogous there in the way that we can use words like see, not so much to talk about what we what we like optically observe, but, yeah, but yeah. rather what we now um, perceive and understand to be reality. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so both are grammatical possibilities mm. for the word see. That's right. Um, this kind of metaphorical sense that you are describing about understanding and perceiving. Yeah. Uh, mentally perceiving, mm. or the, the kind of physical, literal sense of using your optic nerve to yep. catch the light that bounces off something. Yeah, that's right. So uh, they are both grammatical possibilities, but as we zoom out to the broader context, mm. because our author is a good communicator, mm. he has left lots and lots and lots of clues lying around about how we're supposed to take this. And so one grammatical possibility uh, is extremely unlikely and another yep. extremely likely that's right. on the basis of the surrounding context. Yep. Yeah, very helpful, mate. And I think it's worth saying, this is part of the reason why um, Christianity has always been caught up with education and with teaching people to read and to understand language because God is a God who makes himself known, as you said at the start, through 
um, human language. And I think we um, we need to continue as Christians to be good students of our own language and understand how our language works and how communication works so that we can understand our God well. And, uh, you know, I think this is something why we, we want to just keep encouraging Christians to be strong readers and understanding understanders of of written um, written work so that we can understand our God because this is where he, where he makes himself known. So it's, it's great to have questions like this that push us to think, how, how do I be a good reader? That, that's a really good question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because uh, in the way that God's providence works, uh, we need to be readers mm. to be knowers yeah. of God. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there you go. Um, those are our two questions for this afternoon, Peter. Um, I, I think that's, uh, that's everything that we, we didn't tackle on, on the Sunday itself. Uh, so we might push pause there and, uh, yeah, uh, kind of close things out for today, for this episode of The Extras. Um, this coming week, we carry on. We carry on. So keep on reading your psalm a day. And uh, as I said in one congregation on Sunday, the good thing about psalms, if you've missed one or two, <laughs> look, they're not all a connected story. You can just mm. pick it back up. So, mm. you know, whenever you're listening to this, 12th, 13th, 14th, whatever, just pick it back up, keep reading. Excellent. And, uh, you know, you won't have uh, missed an essential part of the story. Nice one. Very good. All right. And Psalm 15 this coming Sunday at, here at Carlingford. I think it's Psalm 22, I think. If that's you're, it. If you're at North Rocks. That's right. And, uh, yeah, so get, get uh, prepared for those. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you, uh, God willing, at church on Sunday. Brilliant. See you, everybody. Bye-bye.